mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, summer means fun in the sun, and it will be a pretty big year for the star at the center of our solar system, exploring the science of heliophysics with the research team at NASA. Also this morning, Findlay is fortunate to be in the path of totality for this coming April's solar eclipse. Not only will it be a once-in-a-lifetime event for those of us who live here, but also for local businesses to cash in on a huge influx of visitors coming to witness it. And to your health this morning, this week's Family Advocacy Day, sponsored by the Children's Hospital Association, is an effort to prioritize critical health care policies in Washington, which impact America's youngest patients. We'll learn more. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. So, summer is here. It is the season of hot dogs, ice cream, warm weather. This is kind of interesting. A a new survey finds that most Americans, two-thirds of Americans, in fact, believe that food really does taste better in the summertime. Uh, 68% in this survey said that they are likely to attend more gatherings during the summer, which is certainly not a surprise. I mean, outside of the holiday season, this is really the time when we get together with friends and family, backyard barbecues, and and so on. Uh, people it's in the survey are planning an average of four uh, beach days or pool days. I guess it would be more pool days around here than beach days, obviously. And, uh, and the food. So the food is always uh, a big part of that. Uh, hot dogs and burgers on the grills. Matter of fact, one-third of those in the survey would uh, choose a good hot dog in the summer over a Thanksgiving feast. Which, wow, that's uh, that's really saying something. And I know uh, my wife is uh, is like that in certain respects. I mean, you know, she likes you know good turkey dinner uh, at Thanksgiving, but not a big turkey fan the rest of the year. So I don't know. I love turkey all year long but whatever i can certainly uh, see that food tastes better in the summer they say by the way speaking of food i saw this big big news you remember the big brouhaha that ensued when it was announced that the choco taco the ice cream treat the choco taco um was discontinued back in what was that four or five years ago And everybody was up in arms because the Choco Taco was going away. Well, now the Good Humor Toasted Almond Ice Cream Bar is officially uh, been discontinued. Just in time for peak ice cream season, there is one less nostalgic treat uh, in the uh, freezer section. After Good Humor confirmed this week that its iconic cake-crumb-coated toasted almond ice cream bars have been discontinued. Um, It was confirmed this week the toasted almond ice cream bar, it says, debuted over 60 years ago, but now has been officially removed from production. Fans have taken to social media and even started a change.org petition to keep the toasted almond flavor around, but it has fallen on deaf ears. The company uh, acknowledged the blowback from the buying public, but says they have no plans to bring it back. 
According to the Associated Press, Good Humor cited production problems and slower sales for its decision to prioritize other more popular items. So no more toasted almond ice cream bars. The Good Humor Company. <sighs> People not in very good humor over that announcement. Apparently. Um, <laughs> speaking of food, um, this is not necessarily a food. Well, it's kind of a food related story. Uh, everybody knows Apple, the company, which has been around since 1976. Apple, the fruit, has been around much longer, which helps explain how a Swiss farmers organization has been using an apple as its logo for 111 years. But, according to a news report, perhaps not much longer, not for much longer. The uh, Fruit Union of Switzerland is in the midst of a fierce trademark battle with the American computer company, which is waging an aggressive fight, not just in Switzerland, but all over the world, to gain intellectual property rights over depictions of the apple in all its forms. If the company gets its way, you, you would not be able to use an apple in a logo anywhere regardless of how long you've used it or what the context is um for the record the farmers group uses a whole apple in their logo and the company has well everybody knows the apple uh, tech logo with the with the bitten you know with a bite out of it in the one corner um is anybody confu- is anybody confusing the swiss Apple farmer, uh, apple growers organization with the company that makes the iPhone. Is there any? But apparently Apple is the company is getting so big that they believe that the apple belongs solely to them and no one should be able to use it in any other context for any other reason in any other way. So, man, I tell you. These companies starting to get uh, too big for their britches. We'll see how that goes, though. Interesting. Some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Now that summer is here, uh, really starting to pick up with the snow melt out west in the mountains. Um, I know it seems weird to be talking about snow melt when it's you know summer now officially, but uh, in the mountains, uh, in the Rocky Mountains, the snow uh, in some places never really goes away. But uh, in the higher elevations, it can take until late June. Some of the mountain roads uh, aren't uh, aren't passable until after the 4th of July sometimes. Um, but uh, mountain snow in Cache County, Utah, they've got uh, something interesting happening. The uh, snow melt is turning pink. Um, it's due to a it's a it's called watermelon snow is what they call it. Uh, pink snow. Uh, some visitors who are confused by seeing this uh, thought maybe they were painting the snow for some reason, but it is a natural phenomenon. Watermelon snow caused by algae found in mountain regions around the world, not just in the Rockies, but in in Utah in particular, this season, uh, they are seeing this. The algae absorbs the heat, which helps melt the snow and allows the algae to access water. Uh, according to 
Utah State University professor Scott Hotelling. There is a lot of evidence that shows these algal blooms actually contribute rather significantly to the overall melt of the snowpack around the West, which is what they depend on there for their water supply through the rest of the year. And they had a particularly solid snow season this year to alleviate some of the drought conditions out west. west. So they were really happy about that. But with the amount of snow, they're getting uh, more of this watermelon snow as a result. Um, He says the only thing that people really have to worry about is that the the algae that uh, causes the discoloration of the snow can also stain shoes and jeans and you know, things as people are hiking in the watermelon snow. Really crazy. Really crazy. Um, you can look that up and, uh, <laughs> and you can see the uh, watermelon snow. By the way, speaking of um, looking things up online, this is, if you want to chuckle today, uh, you can check this out online. I don't know, maybe you saw it on TV. In a recent episode of The Price is Right, um, During a pricing game called Bonkers, in which contestants have 30 seconds to guess each number in the price of a prize, uh, whether it's higher or lower than the number uh, that is set before them. So uh, anyway, this uh, player by the name of Harry uh, won the game in about five seconds on his very first try. It was an amazing feat. And Drew Carey gets all excited And Harry gets all excited, starts jumping up and down, pumping his arms in the air. Then they take a commercial break. When they come back to spin the big wheel, (laughs) Uh, Harry is there. Is it Harry or Henry? Henry, I'm sorry. uh, Henry is uh, standing there uh, with his right arm sort of lying limp at its side. And his wife has joined him on stage. And Drew Carey explains that uh, when he got so excited and was jumping up and down, he actually dislocated his shoulder in the celebration. So they had to call his wife up to spin the big wheel for him. (laughs) I don't know what the outcome was. I did not see it. I just saw the uh, story on the uh, newswire. (laughs) I'm going to have to look that up. That's funny. Oh my, that would be something I would do. You know, I would get up, I would get on stage, this is my uh, moment of fame, and I'd do something stupid like that. Oh goodness. And one other item here among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, and this really is interesting, um, it's roller coaster season. Uh, theme parks opened and and so on. At Six Flags Magic Mountain in Valencia, California, they are planning to use the sun to power all of their roller coasters now. Uh, powering their roller coasters via solar power. The uh, theme park will turn will first turn its thirty acre parking lot into a solar farm. Uh, construction of a solar carport and energy storage system will start later this summer. Basically, uh, they'll create a canopy over the parking lot. People will park underneath this canopy of solar panels. And they will collect uh, all of this sun and and feed it to the roller coaster. They use it to power the roller coasters. 
the whole thing is expected to be ready by late this year or early next. Of course, uh, Magic Mountain in Valencia is open year-round. It's not a seasonal park like we have around here. The uh, solar canopies will provide visitors and employees with shade in the parking lot and produce enough energy to power all 20 roller coasters uh, at the uh, theme park. So that is uh, that is all kinds of uh, of awesome. I know uh, you know some people are not necessarily sold on the idea of solar power and all of that, but that is a uh, a great idea. I mean, talk about a win win situation. People will get shaded uh, parking for their cars and. Uh, they get to uh, power the uh, the roller coasters with that. So I just, I love that idea. I think that is absolutely uh, awesome. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly sunny skies expected today with a high in the mid-70s. Partly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid-60s. Finley City Schools is in need of substitutes for the upcoming school year, and Communications Director Kelly Cheney says they need much more than just teachers. We need facilities substitutes, we need food service, office staff, transportation. Obviously, we have classroom needs, but it's not just that, if that's not your area of expertise. The school district has held some substitute hiring events over the past few weeks. Get more details about becoming a substitute for Finley City Schools with this story on our website. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says it arrested two people in connection with a fatal hit-and-run crash in Marion County in May. The Highway Patrol is thanking the public for their help, which moved the investigation forward and ultimately led to the arrest of the two suspects. Both were charged with tampering with evidence and incarcerated in Marion, and both could face additional charges. Get more on the case on the website. Governor DeWine toured the North Toledo neighborhood of Point Place, which was hit by a tornado last week with no warning. Officials and neighbors all wanted to know if there was any financial assistance that can be approved from Columbus. And while Governor DeWine said they will work on that, he said his main focus will be to figure out why the emergency sirens here in Point Place did not go off as that tornado was hitting Thursday night. Now, I'm not saying anybody did anything wrong, but the Weather Service really owes us, I think, a really full explanation. I'm John. Monk reporting from Toledo. The Finley Rotary Club has presented its Service Above Self Award, which is presented annually to a non-Rotarian in the community who exemplifies the Rotary ideals of professional leadership and service. The recipient of the Service Above Self Award this year is William Bill Conlisk. Rotarian Harold Puck Rowe wrote a nominating bill that bill demonstrates what can happen when one steps up to volunteer and improve the quality of life for all citizens, adding that his integrity and character are incredible. Professionally, Connellisk served in various positions throughout his career with Marathon Petroleum and coordinated and managed the company's corporate philanthropy. Learn more about Bill and why he was presented with this award with this story on our website. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So with today being the first full day of summer and summer being the season of fun in the sun, we thought it would be the perfect time to talk about what a big year it is going to be for the star at the center of our solar system. And joining us to explore the science of heliophysics is NASA research scientist Michael Kirk. Have I got that right? Heliophysics is that uh, the, that's the study of the sun, right? That's exactly right. So heliophysics, it's a it's a challenging word, but so is Tyrannosaurus Rex and every five year old knows what that is. So I <laughs> 
think, good point. I think we could do it. I think we can get everybody to know what heliophysics is. <laughs> good point. So what makes this such an exciting time for our sun? Kind of break this down for us. Yeah, so this is a big year for heliophysics in, in all the ways. So first of all, we're going to experience an annular solar eclipse starting uh, this October, October 14th, 2023. It's going to come on shore in Oregon and then sweep down through the desert southwest in Texas and then out over the Caribbean and into South America. Then to follow that one up with the main event, there's a total solar eclipse April 8th, 2024. Mark your calendars now. Put an alert on. It's worth remembering. April 8th, 2024. Total solar eclipse is going to start in Mexico and sweep up through Texas, the Mississippi River Valley, Ohio River Valley, Great Lakes, and then out over Canada. So this is an event that uh, 200 million people are within a day's drive of the path of totality. So if you can make it, Please make it there. And then finally, we're capping off this big year in December 2024. It's humanity's closest approach to the sun with Parker Solar Probe's perihelion, where it's going to swoop into the outer atmosphere of the sun and actually touch the sun. So uh, this is incredibly unique that all of these things are coming together within the next 12 months or so. Yeah, we're, we're talking about 15 months from October of, of 2023 to December 2024. So there's there's another reason why it's a big year, because it's not just a 12-month year. It's a 15-month year, so a big <laughs> yeah. year. But uh, absolutely. And then on top of all of that, the solar activity is increasing. So there's a solar cycle where activity is low, and then it starts to pick up with more solar flares, more mass ejections, more sunspots. And that's going to be increasing throughout this entire big year. So we're going to get a lot more solar activity coming to, through space towards Earth as well. And uh, are those two things coincidental or uh, are some of the things that are going on that you were mentioning uh, actually leading to the increased solar activity and and how will that in particular impact us yeah that's a fantastic question um so it's coincidental uh although nasa science is definitely going to take advantage of it this is an amazing coincidence to get some good science out of so when when solar activity increases that means that there's there's more flares and mass coming off the sun and what the amazing opportunity for us at nasa is that when um during a solar eclipse when the moon completely blocks the sun we can see that outer atmosphere that corona this Mm. gossamer thin beautiful outer atmosphere that's so bewitching to see with your own eyes, but we can do some real amazing science with it too. So the increased activity is going to give us a a new perspective on the solar corona when it's in its active state with this great natural experiment that we can take advantage of and and really do some cool measurements and cool science with. So uh, we talk about the the impact of this increased solar activity uh, for us on the earth there will be or there will potentially be uh some impact of this i understand right yeah absolutely i mean you you might think like oh i don't have a satellite in space i'm not going up to the international space station anytime soon it probably doesn't uh, affect me it really does i mean we are dependent on space in so much of our everyday life so for example I use my GPS all the time. I like, I mean, going from the bathroom to the living room, I swear I map it out on my GPS. Um, GPS signals are dependent on signals coming from the satellites um, around Earth that go through the outer, outer, excuse me, through the Earth's outer atmosphere, the ionosphere, Mm -hmm. that gets disrupted by space weather. So that means that if you are tracking on your GPS and all of a sudden it says you're like six blocks to the uh, left of where you actually are, that could be, that disruption could be caused 
caused by space weather. And that's just like the the tip of the iceberg, you know, planes, boats, all sorts of um, international right. transcontinental uh, transportation use this. And so all of these space signals are incredibly important to our everyday life, and they all can be affected and disrupted by space weather. Not to mention the uh, communications, uh, internet, uh, you know, all of these things that rely on that same uh, basic technology. And then obviously, this also impacts space travel. And, uh, you know, we're getting more active in space uh, in terms of uh, NASA's projects, uh, in terms of private space projects. How are you navigating all of that to make sure that those who will be traveling to space are, are safe? Yeah. So NASA is going back to the moon. We're going to go on to Mars and we want to make sure that any astronauts, whether it's commercial or, or uh, NASA astronauts are protected from space weather effects. There's a couple ways we can do that. First of all, forecasting. Uh, we're, we're making accurate and more and more accurate forecasts of space weather activities. So we can say, hey, there's a storm coming. It's like, you know, a tornado forecast that we have in the Midwest or, or hurricanes on the coast. We can say there's something coming, take uh, precautions, uh, take, uh, get into protective areas. So that's the, the first uh, line of defense. Then we're also understanding a lot more about how the sun works, like that fundamental physics of how the sun works so that we're able to know not just a send up a, a warning flag every time there's a flare, but know which which events are actually damaging to spacecraft and how those how that physics interact. And that's still an area of, of active research, but Every year we're getting better and better at these things. And so to, in order to send um, people back on to Mars, we want to make sure that we have space weather problem solved as much as we can in order to protect our astronauts. And and this increased uh, activity over the next 12 to 15 months, uh, is this a, a permanent shift or is it a temporary? Is it just the normal cycles will go, go back to normal after that? Or do we not know? It's a, that's a great question. So it's a it's a cycle. Um, every twelve ish years, we go through a cycle of of quiet times with little solar activity, and then ramp up to these more active times, and then back down to the quiet times again. However, layered on top of that are more grand cycles. Like we're talking about hundreds or thousands of year cycles. Mm. And frankly, we haven't been looking at the sun that long in terms of those grand cycles, like talking about humanity studying the sun. It's been since the 1700s. There's not that many 12-year cycles that you can see since the 1700s. Yeah. It, it seems like a long time to us, but it, according to the sun, it's a blink of the eye. So those longer-term uh, trends, those are where we're going into geological records to try and study or tree rings or anything like that. And that is a, is a difficult problem to know where the long term trends the sun is the shorter term trends those 12 year cycles we got it pretty well nailed down we know that it's going to be peaking in late 2024 early 2025 and then we'll be on a downward shift afterwards but regardless one way or the other this must be a pretty exciting time for folks like yourself uh with so much attention being paid uh to the the sun with the eclipses and you mentioned the one that's going to be you know moving right over northwest ohio we're very excited about it here and uh the possibility and, and all of this uh, extra activity, no doubt people are going to be talking about this quite a bit uh, over the next year and a half or so. A lot of opportunities to uh, educate people and get people interested in, in, in this. Certainly. And, and 
If you are a science enthusiast and you want to participate in a citizen science project, there are a lot of opportunities for you to get involved directly. And so this is a way that you can help genuine researchers do their job better with what you're, with the observations you're taking. So a couple of easy, uh, easy ones right now, Aurorasaurus. If this is an app that exists online that you can track Aurora. So if we do see a big solar flare, if you are looking up and you see a, a northern lights up in the, in the sky, you can record it and help an astronaut or help NASA scientists uh, figure out how those aurora are interacting. Another good one is Globe Observer. This is uh, much more Earth-based, but you can record the Earth environment during the eclipse or uh, in other times. Then, if you are a ham radio operator, you have an amazing opportunity because ham radio operators are uh, there's a specific uh, funded NASA science uh, campaigns to use the, the large community of ham radio operators to chart and and map the underside of the ionosphere where they bounce signals for ham radio operators. So mm. if you are Please get involved in the HamSci community. It is a fantastic opportunity. They're going to be doing a ton of work, a ton of great work uh, during the eclipses. Again, uh, Michael Kirk is a research scientist and education lead in heliophysics at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Uh, where do we get more information on all of these big plans to celebrate the sun over the uh, coming year, year and a half? Yeah, so... The one-stop shop. Uh, it's really a launch pad. Uh, this is going to get you into everything so you want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's NASA. Yeah, we it's have NASA, to use those yeah. kind of terms. <laughs> um, so go to, it's go.nasa.gov slash heliobigyear. That is going to get you to the page where you can find information about the eclipses. You can find information about citizen science, uh, education campaigns. Your local library is likely to do, is going to be doing something, finding out about that. Uh, NASA is going to have a big presence in Cleveland in 2024. You'll find more information about that. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of things, um, all happening and that heliobigyear website is a place to, to get redirected and find what you're looking for. Michael, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed it. So as we're talking this morning about what a big year it is going to be for the sun and solar activity and all of the things that NASA is looking at very excited over the coming year, year and a half, Finley is fortunate to be in the path of totality for this coming April's solar eclipse. Now, you might have heard about this. Not only will it be a once-in-a-lifetime event for those of us who live here, but also for businesses to cash in on a huge influx of visitors coming here to witness it. And joining us this morning is Alyssa Preston, uh, director of Visit Finley, Hancock County Chamber uh, or uh, uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau, I should say. And uh, Alyssa, thanks very much for uh, this is already the planning stages uh, are, I mean, for several weeks now, several months now, you've been uh, starting to plan for this because, as you were saying before we went on the air, the anticipation is a huge influx of people more than the population of the city several times over, possibly. Yes. So the city of Finley specifically has had an eye on this for a while. Um, we are fortunate to have science providing us a great event <laughs> exactly. in our community next April. 
Um, so projections are we will triple our population over the course of a four to five day period around April 8th of next year. So much bigger than, say, a sports tournament or uh, an event or something that will bring people Absolutely. in here. Um, and people are going to be looking for open spaces to be able to view this in totality and see everything that happens that's the the other thing you know and and that's kind of the other thing with this not only is it maybe the biggest influx of people we've ever had to the the city potentially but uh more planning is required because i mean you think like for example flag city balloon fest which brings all kinds of people in but that pretty much runs itself a sports tournament kind of runs itself uh you pretty much have to put everything together and coordinate this uh at your level. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is be um, knowledgeable in our own world. So the city is behind the safety and service side, county emergency management services, looking at keeping roadways open. Traffic is going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the city keeps saying you triple your population, you triple your heart attacks, your emergency calls, those mm. type of things. So we're looking at making sure roadways are open. Uh, city and county schools have already canceled school for that day, which is a smart move. Looking at the time of when totality is, 3.10 p.m., that would be when kids are yeah. leaving school. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to keep the roadways open, keep folks safe. But uh, we're looking at this as a great opportunity to um, show visitors how great Finley is. How interesting has that been in the planning process to start thinking about all of these different things that maybe wouldn't even have necessarily been on your radar. Well, and that's a great point. There are things we know, and there are a whole lot of things we don't know. (laughs) There's no playbook written for how to host a solar eclipse in your community. Yeah, But it could be a cloudy day. Uh, Folks will likely still be here um, Mm -hmm. trying to be in that path of totality. Uh, Forest is the actual epicenter of full totality. So Mm -hmm. in Finley, you may miss a second or two of that totality, Um, But, you know, another concern, keeping people in and out of roadways at that time. So kind of take us through this planning process. I mean, as you were talking about, uh, you're bringing in a lot of entities uh, to help plan for this and and prepare as best as you can and sort of put together a game plan. Um, Is there some sort of uh, committee and that kind of thing? There is a local task force of safety service, business community, um, events, our um, transportation. All of these folks have been around the table for about eight months now saying, have we thought about this? Can we do this? I think the main message is think about how your business and how your home runs during that time. Um, Our hotel partners are reporting a two-day booking period. So most people are booking for Sunday, Monday, or Monday, Tuesday, that they would be here for a couple of days. So our businesses in downtown, a number of them take Sunday, Monday as their weekend. They may want to reconsider those dates that we are open specifically on Sunday. We think Monday, the solar eclipse is the main event, that people are going to find their place to watch that mm-hmm. uh, mid-morning and be there throughout the day. And is is that going to be some sort of coordinated uh, setting up sites uh, for that and, and making sure that people have uh, those spots? And Absolutely. Maybe even coordinating uh, events and, and things like that yes. in conjunction with that? Absolutely. So the city has already uh, earmarked Emory Adams Park, the Cube, and the Reservoir as viewing sites. Mm-hmm. They have sourced in porta-pots from all over the Midwest of areas <laughs> that are not in the path of totality. 
community. So we have a hundred yeah, exactly yeah. hundred extra porta pots coming into our community um, to service the folks that are going to be here. Um, but we are encouraging folks if you have an open area of land and want to plan a viewing site um, from other communities that were in the path of totality in 2017. They had uh, land that they marked off and sold those plots. So there is some economic return here for the sure. visitors that are going to be here. Folks uh, are looking for those sites to rent right you know, now. Uh, and, and, and that's a good point. You'll probably see quite a bit of that. I mean, if you've ever been to a major like sporting event or uh, I could imagine uh, Taylor Swift concerts <laughs> this summer are going to be like this. Uh, we've gone to uh, races in Indianapolis before where people in the neighborhood will rent out parking spaces Absolutely. in their yard you'll probably see a lot of that yes so. i think you will um we do have a local website that we've put together finley solar eclipse 2024 um let us know if you're planning those type of things we will list um events and a view viewable spots on that site mm -hmm. that's also equipped with any permits you would need if you do plan on hosting um, food trucks are going to be in high demand to be sure. in some of these locations because, yeah. again, folks are just going to come and hang out for the day mm -hmm. um, waiting for the solar eclipse. And, you know, the the timeline on this is such, and, and we had a story in the news, I, I think, a few days ago, that people are already booking and making their plans even this many months out. We had uh, our hotel partners had wait lists for their hotel rooms to open up. So how much of this actually has to be in place uh, that far in advance? I mean, obviously, the hotels have to be able and uh, capable of, of taking those reservations. Uh, as you mentioned, the infrastructure, the you know planning, some of it has to be already in place because when people are searching out where are we going to go to see this, they want to know that, you know, uh, they want to know the details. Absolutely. So I think the first and foremost is where they're staying. So mm -hmm. campgrounds, opening up those reservation hotel partners. We have a handful of Airbnbs in the community um, that are already booked. Uh, so first and foremost is the lodging. Second, we're looking at probably a six-month out period of kind of planning around their stay. Um, our community has been really great at embracing this, doing educational programming leading up to that point. Mm -hmm. um, Imagination Station out of Toledo has been a great resource for us. Our Hancock Public Library is doing quite a bit. Uh, their uh, community read program is all around the solar eclipse. Yeah. So a number of things that are starting to fall into place, but right now is not too early to start thinking about right. how you want to formulate that. So six months, you want to have uh, pretty much everything in place by, what does that make it, November? Yes, uh, I think before yeah. the end of the year, we definitely want to have a good game plan of what are your hours during that weekend, uh, what events are going on. The city will not uh, accept any street closures over that period of time. Um, but work with us, work with the city. If you have ideas that we can help navigate, um, how to run your business or um, how to run an event. So we'd be happy to assist. Yeah, because like we said, it's a, a huge opportunity uh, for businesses uh, of all kinds. And uh, as you said, to sort of put the community's best foot forward to that end, do you view this as uh, in competition with any uh, of the other uh, communities around Northwest Ohio? Because they're all going to be you know, doing stuff and yeah. and you know uh, putting themselves out there as a destination for for people who would be coming to see the eclipse or is there enough 
for everyone. Yeah, my marketing mind went to, we have to be the place that people want to go. Yeah. People are going to have to find places all over <laughs> for yeah. the amount of yeah. um, folks that will be coming in. We are very fortunate that where we are located, we have things for people to do, uh, places for them to stay, that we will see probably a larger group here uh, in the Finley area. Well, I'll tell you what, it is uh, most likely, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this is most likely not the last time we'll discuss this. I think you're right. <laughs> it's like I wake up in the morning and go, what do I have to do about solar eclipse today? <laughs> It'll be on your mind for uh, every day for the next six months or so. Uh, again, Alyssa Preston is director of Visit Finley, the uh, Finley Hancock County Convention and Visitors Bureau. It'll be a very big uh, year Uh Big several months, especially uh, culminating in April with the uh, solar eclipse. Alyssa, thanks very much for dropping by. Thanks for having me, Chris. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. You know, every summer we hear about stories of weird and unusual things washing up on the beach somewhere. And we already have... Our first one of this season. Uh, it, it happened along the uh, Gulf Coast of Texas uh, the other day where a closed safe <laughs> washed on shore and just happened to be found by Jace Tunnel, who is a uh, conservation researcher. Uh, a closed safe washing up on the, uh, on the shore. He said, everyone's dream is to find a big bag of money washed up on the beach, and we found the next best thing. <laughs> However, when they uh, cracked open the safe with a crowbar, they found inside only a bunch of packets uh, of that silica gel, you know, the, uh, the gel packets that you find in like a, box, like a shoe box or, or something like that. That's all that was inside. There was no money. There was no nothing uh, other than <laughs> silica gel packets. No clues as to where the safe came from. It's just a big mystery and kind of weird. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the broken news. Speaking of weird and unusual things, I guess summer just brings out this time of the year just brings out the weird in people. Uh, earlier this week, uh, a man in Venice, California, decided to uh, turn his boring mundane life into a thrilling movie scene, I guess. Uh, the unidentified man climbed on top of a building that was under construction uh, while being chased by police, shirtless and full of audacity. He walked across the unfinished roof, just beams of, of steel of this unfinished roof, throwing pieces of wood at unsuspecting firefighters. <laughs> firefighters were on the scene. The police were on the scene. He's throwing wood planks at them. From on top of this building under construction. After about an hour and a half of all of this, this uh, spectacle in Venice, California, the authorities gave up and left. They decided, we've had enough of this, we're going home. Uh, Thankfully, no one was harmed, but the fate of the man remains unclear. They don't know what happened to him. They gave up and left. Okay. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the broken news, the town of Stewart, Iowa, uh, had an embarrassing faux pas. Uh, they, uh, the town decided to repaint their water tower. 
it was uh, it was looking a little ratty and needed to be repainted. These things, you know, need to happen from time to time. We've done them in you know in our town, and and every town does it. But uh, unfortunately, somebody made a, a bit of a goof. Someone forgot. <laughs> somebody spelled the name of the town wrong. Now you'd think Stuart is not all that difficult to to spell, but someone left the U out, and so. Instead of proudly displaying the town's name, the water tower says start on one side. (laughs) Somebody left out the U. Uh, Complaints started pouring in faster than a waterfall. Get it? Uh, Water tower. Mayor Dick Cook admits a lot of people saw it and couldn't help point uh, point out the glaring error. Uh, The uh, tower has uh, been repainted and fixed. So they got it fixed now, but that's rather embarrassing. Uh, let's see. Some weird gunplay uh, incidents in the uh, broken news. In Baton Rouge, police say a man shot a co-worker uh, a couple of nights ago and then went back to work the next day. <laughs> as, if, as if there's going to be no repercussions from shooting a co-worker. Uh, fortunately, the uh, victim is going to be okay. He had to be taken to the hospital, but he is, uh, he's going to be fine. Uh, Donald Brooks was arrested just hours after he showed up the next day after uh, shooting his uh, co-worker in the parking lot. <laughs> he showed up the next day. Uh, he is facing a number of charges. Uh, and not to be outdone... <laughs> An Uber passenger in Texas uh, shot her driver, who she thought was trying to kidnap her. The uh, 48-year-old, whose name was not given, was visiting El Paso and uh, hopped an Uber. Uh, She told the cops that she saw road signs for the Mexican border town of Juarez and panicked. Apparently, she was from out of town, so she didn't realize that Juarez, Mexico, is relatively close to uh, relatively close to El Paso. And uh, so, you see, road signs doesn't mean that you're being kidnapped. Uh, the, uh, the driver uh, remains in the hospital with a bullet wound. Um, police investigators say that there was no indication that he was actually trying to abduct his passenger. She is now under arrest. Just because she saw some road signs. <sighs> All right. Mm. Uh, scandal in the athletic department at Stephen F. Austin State University. But this is not a recruiting scandal. It is not a... Uh, a scandal in any of the high-profile sports that you might imagine. <laughs> it is a scandal in the bowling program. Which, again, when you think of athletic department scandals, that's not bowling is not the first one that you think of. But an assistant bowling coach at Stephen F. Austin, who is accused of having an affair with a player, is now stepping down. Steve Lemke just happens to be married to the head coach of the bowling team. He's the assistant His wife, soon-to-be ex-wife now, by the way, is actually the head coach of the bowling team. Uh, Mr. Lemke was given a choice to either quit or be fired, uh, but he defended the affair, 
uh, telling local news reporters that the relationship was consensual and it is being blown out of proportion because of the team's two national championships. Yeah, that's the reason. That's the reason it's being blown out of proportion, okay? And finally, in the broken news this morning, the odd and unusual side of the headlines, and this definitely fills the bill. Um, a 60-year-old tortoise led his owners on a two-day chase when he escaped his enclosure. Tommy the tortoise uh, made his way uh, across at least three busy roads during his great adventure. Um, I believe this is in California. I believe. I, I don't have the dateline in the story here, so I apologize. Cross at least three busy roads during his great adventure. Uh, his owner says, I put up a post on Facebook for friends to look out for him, and the following evening I got a message to say that he had been found walking along the grassy area outside of Riverside Nursing Home, which is all the way at the other end of town. Uh, owner Catherine Scott said, luckily, Tommy was not harmed. <laughs> a two-day chase with a tortoise. By the way, for reference, uh, this particular... Uh, tortoise is of a species that can travel a half mile, uh, half a mile every three hours. So you, you would think it wouldn't be that difficult to catch up to him, but apparently it was. And but he's home safe and sound now. There you go. That is uh, the broken news today. An update of the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Did you know more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection? AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping Americans safe in dangerous times. This is News Director Matt Demchek. AM 1330 WFIN is here to serve you, and we take seriously our commitment to our listeners. We would love to hear what you value most about AM radio. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. How often do you bicker with your significant other? According to a new survey of 2,000 couples, the average, uh, well, first of all, the the most common source of arguments, uh, according to this survey, the TV and the average couple bickers over their TV four times per week. Some of the most common pet peeves include talking during a show, debates over the volume of the TV, deciding what to watch, and taking too long to pick what to watch. Those are the most common uh, arguments. I think my wife and I are probably guilty of all of those things (laughs) at one time or another. Uh, Four times a week uh, on average. And how about this? 27% of the couples who argue over the TV end up solving the issue by buying another TV. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty effective solution uh, to the problem. Now, I should mention that the, that the uh, survey was commissioned by Roku. So <laughs> bear that in mind. But I, I, I think those are probably some pretty reliable results.
to your health this morning. The Children's Hospital Association this week is holding its 18th annual Family Advocacy Day in Washington, D.C. It is, incidentally, the first in-person event since the pandemic, and this is actually a multi-day event where Children's Hospital patients and their families from across the country head to Capitol Hill to advocate for children's health. And joining us this morning is Amy Knight, president of the Children's Hospital Association. Amy, what are the points of emphasis that you are focusing on during these engagements with lawmakers this week? Chris, thank you. Um, Family Advocacy Day and our theme this year is Fearless for Kids Health, Fearless Today for a Better Tomorrow. And with our families and children that are here this week, so we have some 50 families and kids that are um, arriving in D.C. to spend several days, as you noted. We have really three areas of focus. So there's a lot of issues facing children's health care today. Um, and so some of these are ongoing, but they're unique um, aspects this year that we're focusing on. So the first is um, Medicaid and CHIP, which are our two federally sponsored insurance programs that cover children. So about half the children in this country are covered under Medicaid and CHIP. So speaking specifically about some of the reimbursement gaps that exist in order for children to continue to have access to timely care is, is a major focus there. Our second one is really around pediatric workforce. We, um, to be a pediatric anything, a pediatric doctor, a pediatric nurse, pediatric physical therapist, um, it takes extra training beyond the, the regular training. So ensuring that the programs, um, that Congress is funding the programs like um, the Children's Graduate Medical Education Program that continue to fund this unique level of training is of significant importance and especially this year. And then finally, an issue we've been talking about for a couple of years, even as Family Advocacy Day was remote, um, was mental health. So we continue to face a crisis um, in our children and youth in our country. And so spending some time helping congressional leaders understand how investments in Medicaid and workforce and just programs um, at the federal level and across the country can can really change the trajectory of health outcomes for let's, our children. Let's kind of uh, explore those a little more uh, individually. First, you mentioned Medicaid and CHIP. Obviously, uh, as you said, huge issues in children's health, uh, if, if for no other reason, the number of children who are covered by these programs. What policy changes would you like to see to improve those programs? You know, I think there's there's two issues to specifically focus on there that we're talking about. The first is really um, to focus on reimbursement. And so the ability of pediatricians, specialty physicians, pediatric specialty doctors, and children's hospitals to deliver this care um, relies on adequate reimbursement. So right now there's a gap in the reimbursement that those programs provide versus, say, commercial insurance or even Medicare, another federally sponsored program for adults. So closing that gap is of critical importance to be able to continue to provide the care that we do. The second piece of that is really keeping Medicaid strong for kids. So children are part of the Medicaid program, as are a number of other um, populations. And as that pool has grown, um, the federal investment in Medicaid isn't always keeping pace, so making sure that Medicaid is a strong program uh, for children really across the board. The second uh, point that you mentioned with respect to workforce, explain the importance of having access to medical professionals who are specifically trained to meet the uh, unique health care needs of children. Uh, as you were alluding to, it's more than just the name on the side of the building uh, when you talk about children's 
hospitals. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we often think about children's hospitals as only places to go when children are really sick. But the reality is, is children's hospitals are also the training ground for the pediatrician or the family physician that takes care of your child in the community. So when we talk about timely access to care, um, a couple of things really stand out there. One, every child needs access to well-child visits um, from birth. So to look at their developmental milestones to make sure they're keeping track, to get immunizations, to do screening for other, um, you know, early childhood diseases and things of that nature. Those pediatricians were trained in a children's hospital. The second side of that, as you know, is really when you actually need the full resources of a children's hospital, say, um, you know, a really challenging situation where a child is diagnosed with a chronic issue, a chronic illness such as cystic fibrosis, or pediatric cancer, um, the CHGME, which is a Children's Hospital Graduate Medical Education Program, provides the training resources and the funding for more than 50%, nearly 60% of the pediatricians and specialty doctors in our country. So that training starts and happens in a children's hospital. And then those are the pediatricians that move to our rural communities, that work in our local communities as well, and ultimately that are go on for subspecialty training and some of the more advanced care, whether it's cardiology, cancer, neurology, um, mental health services, things of that nature. So making sure that all of those um, have robust training and our, our children have access to them. A child can't wait three months oftentimes to, to see a physician. A lot happens developmentally between the age, for example, of three and six months. And when a family is, is, is faced with a really challenging diagnosis or crisis, um, seeing physicians in a timely manner, pediatric physicians can really change the health outcomes for the child and for the family. Uh, the third point that you mentioned and the third uh, point of emphasis, uh, the uh, children's mental health crisis really is probably the easiest for most everyone to understand. We've all uh, seen uh, the impact, uh, especially during the pandemic, on uh, children's mental health. We've talked about it uh, at, at length, how this is uh, impacting children. So I want to kind of jump ahead uh, here because uh, we're a little bit short on time. Uh, and I, I do want to ask you this. At the end of this Family Advocacy Day event, which, as we said, spans multiple days, actually, what do you hope to have accomplished? How will you measure the success of this event over the course of the coming year leading up to the next such event? Absolutely. And I think um, it's interesting to see the impact that a child's story has on a legislator. You, you know, you can often imagine... Um, these, these folks deal with a lot of constituents on a lot of issues. So to hear a child and a family tell their story has a significant impact. So we would define success as a couple of ways. One, continuing to have children's health issues as a bipartisan priority for, for this Congress. So certainly we live in, live in politicized times. Um, and children have long been a bipartisan um, issue. And so we need some bipartisan solutions. And those solutions look like keeping Medicaid strong, not making unnecessary cuts, strengthening reimbursement, um, continuing to train pediatric specialists, and additional and new funding um, for our pediatric mental health crisis, meaning the training of physicians, the funding of programs, and, and really looking at how we change the trajectory of outcomes there with define success for us. Again, Amy Knight is president of the Children's Hospital Association. Amy, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for spending time on this very important issue.
And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow as we finish up the week, ask any business owner about the top issues that they are struggling with. And nearly universally, you will hear about the worker shortage, how the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is lobbying Congress to address the problem. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.